When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 324, and we are recording on April 5th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot and technology shenanigans. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully, we're going to get through this show without any further shenanigans. Cross your fingers as you're listening to this. That belated help is always welcome. (laughs) All right. It's just Tuesday is what's happening, except that you're listening on Thursday. How does time work? Is something in retrograde? I don't know. I That's what I feel like. My brain, at the very least, is in retrograde. <laughs> All right. Well, how does this show actually work, you might be wondering. Let me tell you. It is a personalized reading recommendation show, which means you can send in your reading request. You can send it in either via email, getbookedatbookriot.com, or in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for each episode. You can ask for a recommendation for yourself, for a friend or family member. You can get one for activities, travel, you know, life moments, whatever. Send in your request. We might get to it on air. Oh, if it's time sensitive, please put time sensitive, all caps, in either the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form, plus the date you're hoping to hear back by. We will do our best. And we do have some feedback from listeners with recommendations of their own for some of our question askers. Julie says, I wanted to give a few recommendations for the person who wanted fantasy books that also have lots of detailed day-to-day life. This is a wheelhouse of mine, too. I highly recommend the Mercy Thompson series by Patricia Briggs for this and also any Charlene Harris Supernatural series, Sookie Stackhouse, Midnight Texas, or the Grave series. And then from another Amanda, uh, Amanda says, I have two book recommendations for Heidi, who is looking for novellas to get her out of her reading slump. The Santa Suit by Mary Kay Andrews is a holiday novella, so a bit out of season. She has that writing style that you immediately get into the book and then, because this is a novella, you finished reading the book. She wrote it in 2020 as an escape from the world, and it is exactly that. And then Love and Saffron by Kim Fay is an epistolary novel told in letters between two women in the 1960s. Yet because it is about friendship and food, it somehow seems timeless. I'm going to have to check that one out. I love a friendship story. (laughs) All right, Amanda, do you want to read our first question? Sure. It's a doozy. It is. So our first question is anonymous, and it also has a trigger warning for homophobia within it. So if you don't want to hear about that, then you can skip on ahead. Here we go. Anonymous asks... It's very long, so I am going to short. Um, I'm an openly bisexual woman. I've done my reading. I've read so much queer theory in college and for myself. I've had many moments of experience experiencing homophobia in my life, but recently I had an experience where a woman threatened me for being queer and accused me and all queer people of being predators, said a lot more. I don't want to go into details. I found myself completely frozen in the moment. I didn't even really have a response because I was so frightened and stunned. But afterwards, it made me realize that for all my reading about queer philosophy and politics, I don't know if I've ever actually read anything practical. Like, what do you do when confronted with moments like this? My response is to basically get away, and I think it always will be. But in a less scary moment, what do you do? It just made me think a lot about what is the best response to homophobia? How do you approach this topic if somebody comes at you with homophobic rhetoric? Do you know of any books that focus on practical responses, memoirs, essays, any genre is fine. All right, we're going to hear from our first sponsor, and then I'm going to let Jen take the first week at this, because she has many, many notes. (laughs) (laughs) Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, 
don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Credit Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. All right. So let's talk about what phobia means. And it means at like the most basic level, irrational fear, right? Like it's in irrational fear. So it is very difficult to have a real conversation with somebody who is in the grips of hysterical fear. Like it's it's often just not possible. Also, you did the right thing. Your safety comes first and you should take care of yourself. And Amanda's going to talk more about that in her <laughs> recommendation. But yeah, I just wanted to say a thing. So I'm linking in here to an interview with Judith Butler that included addressing uh, anti-trans rhetoric in uh, trans excluding radical feminism. Um, and she really helped me get my head around this, that like when somebody is coming from this place of deep-seated fear, uh, that completely misunderstands the power dynamics, by the way, mm. that it is just really impossible to have. Like you can't convince someone with logic or ration that their fears are wrong. Like that's that's almost impossible to do. However, that being said, if you are in a place where somebody is not screaming at you and not threatening your safety and you but is still coming at you with homophobic rhetoric then you know the tools you're going to use this is this is so hard for me to say out loud y'all cuz i hate that this is true but the tool we saw this in like the new york times made like a vaccine hesitant you know how to talk to somebody who is vaccine hesitant and it, these all all of these things rely on the same tools which is that you have to say i hear you and i can understand why you're afraid let me tell you something that might make you less afraid. And for a queer person to say, I hear your fears about how I'm a predator and I'm going to affirm you, that's like, Ugh. that's asking a lot. Then yeah. and, and nobody, you don't have to do that. Like, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to do that. You may not have the emotional capacity or the support system or the power in that situation where you can be safe financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever. Like, if you don't have that safety, this is not your job. This is the job of people who do have power in these situations, who do do have security in these situations, this is their job, mm. right? So snap, maybe snap, that's snap. you and maybe it's not. Like, that's for you to decide. So if you want to do the thing whereby you actually try to engage with somebody who believes these kinds of homophobic rhetorics and is capable of having a conversation about it, I'm going to send you to, as a starting point, Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson, Joseph Grenny, Ron McMillan, and Al Switzer. This is not about 
queer theory or like it's not about this. What it is about is how to talk to people who are very heated, which this conversation obviously is a heated conversation for a lot of folks. And these are like, you know, conversational like jujitsu moves to try to get your point across in these kinds of in a situation in which conversation is heated. Again, this is not about query theory. I also think this book is kind of dated. However, the techniques are sound. Like it, there's going to be a lot of eye rolly business bro stuff in here that you're just going to want to like skim over, but the techniques at the heart of this are sort of the baseline techniques that you can use to have this kind of conversation again, assuming that you are safe and secure and are not going to be damaged by the experience. So those are the words I want to say to mm. you. I co-sign all of that. It's not your responsibility. So I, this is not my lane. Uh, so I took this question to the contributors and actually got a great answer from our staff member, Danica, who runs uh, a blog, a book blog called The Lesbrary. So you can intuit from the title how this is relevant to her interest. She's dealt with a lot. Of course she has dealt with a lot of this kind of abuse on the internet. And she actually recommended like just find books about boundaries, like just find books about how to protect yourself. And so I went with that and I picked Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra Glover-Tawab, which is exactly what the title says. And I, I picked this because I know... I'm an Enneagram 8, so, like, <laughs> I know that in the moment, it's very tempting to be like, I'm going to fight you. Or, you know, like, I'm going to have this conversation. You're saying something awful to me, and I'm going to fight back. But that, as Jen said, is not your responsibility. And it can become so draining. You know, you've said you've experienced mm. homophobia in the past. And dealing with that over and over and over and over again throughout your life, at a certain point, you just get tired of having to justify your existence over and over and over again. And you really don't have to. So, but that said, I do think that setting boundaries is a way to have that fight without having to exhaust yourself. Because mm. if you're in a situation, not a physical safety situation, which like you said, get out of that situation. But mm. if you feel okay enough, like having the conversation with the person, someone said something microaggressive to you or whatever, setting a boundary and being able to, to stand in your kind of power as a human person and saying like, that's not okay. We're not going to talk about this is in of itself a kind of fist thrown because then the other person has to accept that because otherwise you're going to leave, right? Like you are going to exit mm. the conversation. And that a boundary that is forced upon somebody who's trying to push you is a way to make that person recognize your humanity. Whether they go on to, to respect you as a person who is queer and accept that fully is their problem. It's not it's not your problem. But I don't, that's kind of it. That's my TED talk. <laughs> like I think that... Um, <laughs> Protecting your own peace is uh, as much, if not more, of a valid fight than having some kind of rhetorical conversation with someone who who isn't coming from a place of good faith in the first place. So the book, um, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, is all of that. It's all about how to have really difficult conversations with people who are pushing your boundaries, who are kind of emotional or mental vampires who want to, like, take up all your bandwidth uh, in ways that are not healthy for you. So, I mean, even outside of dealing with someone who is being bigoted at you, even just dealing with like difficult coworkers or like your mom mm. who won't stop calling you or any, any and all things, you can apply the tools in the book to, to all kinds of different situations. But this one is definitely one of them. So that's Set Boundaries, Find Peace by Nedra glover Tawab. Yeah, I love that book mm. and have big cosigns for that <laughs> one as well. Biggest of cosigns. We're sending you good thoughts, yeah. whoever you are, and to everybody who has experienced this. And I hope that person like gets a flat tire for several days in a row. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> All right. Our next question is from Christina, who says, I'm looking for a book that feels like being wrapped up in a blanket with a hot cup of tea in my hands while it rains outside. Something soothing and cozy and helps silence the outside noise so my brain can just be peaceful. Fiction only, please. Christina, you are just singing the song yeah, right now. Of our people. <laughs> it's just like a seriously, come sit by me. We'll have separate blanket nests and tea. It'll be very nice. So the book I'm recommending to you is technically, I'm obviously just going to keep going. The book I'm recommending is technically the fourth in this series, but they you don't have to read them in order. They all stand alone really nicely. It's The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers, who writes like the most coziest science fiction in the world. And what I love about this one is that it is, it takes place on this like intergalactic, like 
Airbnb's situation. Like, there, this planet Gora is sort of nothing. It doesn't have air. Like, everything has to, everybody has to live in a biodome. It's not particularly, you know, useful or pretty or whatever. But it is, happens to be on, like, an important route through the galaxy. And so people stop there all the time. And so enterprising folks who live on the planet full-time will put together, like, you know, like I said, like, Airbnb, like, rest stop kind of situation. And... This story follows three strangers who all end up at the same rest stop. And what I love about this book is that, first of all, the alien who runs the rest stop, like, their life is other people, like, feeling cozy. So, Mm. like, the things that, you know, they do to, like, make sure everybody has what they need and the snacks that their species prefers and, like, is culturally and sensorily and everything sensitive. Like, it's just so sweet and lovely. The characters are all coming from very different places and some of them are like really stressed out about things and other ones are like, yeah, this is fine. And you get to see them all interacting with each other and sort of like figuring out, yeah, like when you're thrown in with a bunch of strangers and you're stuck for a while because they do get stuck, they can't go um, on their merry way and they have to interact with each other. And it is just so sweet and like affirming and pleasant. It's so pleasant. It just gives me all of the feelings. And uh, everything turns out fine. Like everything is fine at the end. It's, it is a soothing, soothing book. So again, that's The Galaxy and the Ground Within by Becky Chambers. Okay, so I picked The Lost for Words Bookshop by Stephanie Butlin, which I've talked about on the show before as like my premium cozy content. There are actually several scenes where the main character is wrapped in a blanket with a hot cup of tea while it rains outside. So I think (laughs) that it's like a pretty solid choice for this. It's about a woman named Loveday who works at a bookstore and has since she was like, I think 14, quite young, like too young to be working, but you know, childhood trauma. Um, And she is now in her kind of early mid 20s. Her boss, as I've mentioned before, reminds me of Teddy Roosevelt, (laughs) but English. So maybe like a (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt Churchillian style. They weren't that different, to be honest, Churchill and Teddy Roosevelt. Um, But, you know, kind of big mustache, handlebar mustache, like has probably been on safari, that sort of vibe. Very loving and all of that. Uh, And Loveday just spends all of her time in the bookstore and that at home, you know, drinking tea, wrapped in blankets, reading outside. They have a really great relationship. And she's got a lot of tattoos. She's very quirky. You know, one of those. But into her bookstore job comes a man. He is a poet. And he would like to get to know her. Not immediately. He's not like there to get to know her. But like he comes in. They have some interactions. He is very interested in her. He invites her out. And she's like kind of so suspicious. She's not really like a person who dates or who like goes outside. <laughs> so that's One of the storylines, the other storyline is that at work, three suspicious packages have shown up and they're not, they're suspicious in as much as like they're items from her childhood about which she never speaks and tells no one. So obviously someone is like out there with information about her childhood and is sending her mysterious items from it. And like, where did they get it? What's going on? What do they want? Um, And it sounds, when you put it like that, (laughs) it sounds kind of like stalkery and weird and scary. And it's certainly disconcerting, but it does not detract from the coziness of the book. It's actually, you know, it kind of contributes. It's like this mystery. She did have a very rough childhood, so that is part of it. But it's not, you know, graphic in any way or anything like that. Like all of the things, she has normal kind of human problems, but all wrapped up in this very just like warm bookstore kind of glow that gets you through. And it just feels very much like a like a hug. Everyone in the book is some level of adorable like on some mm-hmm. adorableness is a spectrum and everyone here lands <laughs> on it right like it's just some of them are just big-eyed anime characters and then some of them are like quite gruff rooseveltian figures who are also adorable and would probably be very upset to learn that but now i'm ascribing feelings to fictional characters but that's fine <laughs> anyway it's super cozy so that's the lost for words bookshop by stephanie butland okay Um, The next question is from Kate, who says, for most of my life, my dad, I love dad questions, I just have to say, (laughs) my dad has read nonfiction exclusively, particularly giant biographies of politicians. Much to my delight, now that he's retired, he's dipping his toes into fiction. Specifically, he's really enjoying sweeping historical fiction that opens his eyes to history and cultures that are well known to white Westerners. So far, he's devoured The Kite Runner and Pachinko. He's currently in the middle of Thousand Autumns of Jacob de Zoet, which he likes, and as soon as she finishes, I know he'll ask me to recommend 
more. He happens to be a former professor of Latin American politics, so he's already got that history down, but I'd love recommendations for historical novels that take place in Asia, Africa, or the Middle East, or ones that involve indigenous North American people, preferably ones that are not overly romantic and explore as much about the time and place as they do the characters. All right, Jen, what you got? I can't not recommend Homegoing for this question. Like, I don't know how not to do it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. here we are. I'm recommending Homegoing by Yeah, Jesse, because your dad needs to read it. It's so good. It is absolutely epic international historical fiction. Uh, It begins. Oh, right. Content warnings for slavery and all of the related violences. So this begins in Ghana in the 18th century. There are two half-sisters. They don't know each other. They are in different villages, and both of them are swept up in the slave trade that is moving through Africa at this moment in time. And one of them actually ends up married, not necessarily consensually, to an Englishman uh, who lives in the Cape Coast Castle, which is where all of the captured people are held before they are put on ships through the Middle Passage. And the other sister ends up in the same castle but is sent on a boat. And you follow the descendants of these sisters through eight different generations. So it's hugely sweeping. It's amazing. I learned so much more about the like Ghanaian side of this equation than I ever had before. Like I was aware of certain pieces of it, but I did not actually really know any of it. And you can tell Jessie did her research. Like it's hugely detailed and really fascinating. I also love how... She moves you through the different generations. I think it's really intelligently done. And it's a book that I'm always like, oh, it's like 8,000 pages long. No, it's like 300. Like it packs so much into like a very amazingly like trim package. And as a debut, it's just astonishing. Um, You do get American uh, history as well, particularly in the South. But I, you know, I think, uh, again, the way that it moves back and forth between Ghana and the U.S. is also really well. Well done. So I think your dad is going to love it. Uh, again, that's Homegoing by Yeah Jesse. I picked The Immortals of Tehran by Ali Reza Tahiri Aragi, um, which has a trigger warning for suicide and probably others, but it's been like a hot minute since I read it. So I, mm. I could not remember all of them, but it is about like a violent political revolution. So like the stuff that would come with that most likely. It's about a little boy named Ahmed who is growing up on his family's apple orchard and he is being told stories about his family's history by his great-great-great-great-grandfather, who is somehow there, alive, talking to him. And that is how you pretty much immediately know that there's some magical, kind of mystical, magical realism type stuff woven into this book. And in the like first chapter, his father dies, and his great, etc., great-great, etc., I'm just going to shorten it, <laughs> great-etc. grandfather, on that day of his father's death, starts telling him about his family's curse. It's this, like, centuries and centuries old curse and how the boy is going to grow up and fulfill his role within this family curse. And that's exactly what he does. So he grows up, um, and as he grows up, you follow, you know, you follow his life. He starts off as, like, like a kind of a street rat. <laughs> like I'm thinking about Aladdin, like the uh, Dickensian orphan sort of street brawler kind of character. And then he eventually becomes a father and, you know, kind of settles down. He becomes a, a poet, a politician. And as he's growing up and moving through these phases of life, Iran is changing around him. The revolution comes. Of course, he gets swept up in that. And the whole time he can sort of feel that thing that his great etc grandfather told him about that some outside element or some maybe magical or not or otherworldly or like something is interfering with his family's life and so this is kind of haunts him through the entirety of the book Um, and it's just one of those things my favorite kind of historical fiction is one about one family or one person growing up or changing with a country like or or a city or Mm. something like that like you're getting the story of a whole people or the experience of a whole people told through the lens of one small group or one person. And that's very much what this is. And 
your dad sounds real cool, but and he seems, I mean, dads, most dads are probably old enough at this point to have watched some of the Iranian revolution, perhaps on TV, or have been old enough to remember watching it when they were younger. But, you know, it's that sort of thing where like the American perspective on what happened there is very limited and one-sided and mostly has to do with our own interests and all of that. So this is a much more detailed account. It's pretty obvious what parts are magic and what aren't. So it's not like the author is saying that mystical elements had anything to do with the politics, but mm. it is woven in there. And it's really, really nice. It's like an interesting twist on the historical fiction genre. You don't get a lot of historical fiction that has that kind of mystical element outside of South America, which your dad is probably super familiar with magical realism because of that, uh, because of his career. So that's The Immortals of Tehran by Ali Reza Tahiri Aragi. All right. Our next question is from Amber, who says, I'm looking for razor blade tears, but less violent, but not a cozy mystery necessarily. No professional detectives as the investigator, please. This is an interesting needle to try yeah. to thread. So it's like you want a mystery, you want it to be contemporary, you don't want it to be cozy, you don't want professional detectives. I sort of and like I was thinking about like, OK, what's in razor blade tears? And there's like some generational stuff there. Mm-hmm. So like maybe that's what you're interested in I don't know so I went with The Cutting Season by Attica Locke which I can't believe we haven't talked about in a hot minute this book is so good content warnings for violence against women and children it is not a lot of violence on the page though honestly most of the violence happens off screen with like a very limited amount on screen so that's why I thought also it would work for you it is also generational in a couple different ways it takes place in the south Karen is the like manager of this historic plantation house in Louisiana. And she is a black woman. She is descended from enslaved people who lived on this plantation in the past, which is like weird. Um, but, you know, she's got she needs a job like she needed a job and now she has a job. And so this is what she's doing. Like, it's not ideal, but like, here we are. She's a single mother. She has to have work like this pays well. And it's a good place for her daughter to grow up. So here we are. She discovers a body while they she and the gardener discover a body a dead body on the property it appears to be a migrant worker nobody knows what is going on with this and then you know everything unravels from there and Karen is dealing both with like the reasons why she's back here doing this job, the present day concerns of being a single mom to a teenager who like very much has a will of her own and like will not be reasonable because teenagers. And uh, also, you know, the secrets of sort of what is going on with this historic house. And I think it's a really incredibly well done. Like that's such a rough premise to start with. And I think Locke handles it so beautifully. I was completely like, I could not look away from this book. And Karen is not a professional detective. So I feel like it's going to work for you. Uh, Again, that's The Cutting Season by Attica Locke. Yeah, this was an interesting question. Razorblade Tears, all of the Crosby, Cosby, I never, I think it's Crosby, S.A. Crosby, Crosby are super violent, but in a way that I find very satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but razor blade tears does have like jen mentioned that generational element and it's very much about like parents and their like what they will do for their children so Mm. i went with that angle and i picked miracle creek by angie kim which has trigger warnings for graphic harm to children and suicide i still promise it's less violent than razor blade razor blade tears (laughs) though Um, most of the violence is in the first bit so this is it takes place it's a courtroom drama that takes place in a small town in Virginia, and it focuses on a group of patients who are all undergoing a, like, experimental treatment in a hyperbaric chamber that's been positioned, like, on a farm out in the middle of nowhere in Virginia. And they're there for, like, a variety of reasons. There are some moms who have brought their autistic children under the impression that the hyperbaric chamber is going to help with that somehow. There are couples who are there treating fertility. There's, like, a lot of different ailments that folks have, I'm using air quotes for ailments, ailments that folks have come to get treated here. And when the book opens, there's an accident, the chamber explodes, and two people die, including one of the children, an eight-year-old boy, I think, who dies in a pretty graphic way, just to warn you. And after the 
explosion, it becomes immediately clear that it was not an accident, that somebody did this on purpose. And so that's the mystery you're trying to solve is who who set off this explosion, who was their target, why would they do this, etc. And so you followed the individual characters in flashbacks and in the courtroom scenes, because one of the moms has been charged with the with setting this explosion in an attempt to kill her own child and other people in the chamber. And so you are flashing back to the days leading up to it, following each of the characters, including the family that owns the hyperbaric chamber and operates it, the mom who's been charged, her family situation, the family situation of all the other people who are in the chamber. And you're just like along for this ride. And it is so much about what parents do for their kids, especially moms of kids who are neurodivergent or disabled, the things that we blame them for and expect them to be able to do and expect them to be able to manage um, and how they have so much more pressure put on them than the dads. And it's a big like social in the same way that all of Crosby's books are like social commentary in the form of this really like upsetting (laughs) um, death and the mystery that surrounds it. The courtroom drama scenes are fantastic. I've said before, but I'm a super gullible reader. Like I will, I'm here for whatever, the last thing you said is the thing I now believe, right? Right. Um, And so in courtroom dramas, I'm forever like, well, obviously she's guilty. 10 pages later, I'm like, well, obviously she's innocent. Like, how could you dare think? Um, So if you're anything like that kind of reader, we were just like here for it. This is a thing for you. You're super going to like it. So it's Miracle Creek by Angie Kim. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Gallery Books. So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidize family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone. But, you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. Eh, she wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, question five is from Miranda, who says, I have a two-part request. The first book that I'm looking for is a nonfiction book about the Cold War, something that is not dry like a textbook, but is engaging and informative. The second book is a bit more broad. I want to expand my reading of classics from other countries that aren't the U.S. or England, and instead read something from Central or South America, or from Central or South American authors. If you couldn't already tell from this question, I'm open to reading anything, so genre does not matter. If you have recommendations for nonfiction from Central or South America, that would be great, too. But since I've already made two requests, I can wait for another time. Okay, I'm going to keep going. Um, I picked the uh, Cold War section of this question, and Jen took the classics one. So I went with 
a kind of a, I mean, kind of a classic of Cold War nonfiction in as much as that genre can have classics. I don't know. It's called The Man with the Poison Gun. It's by Serhii Plaki. And it is the book on which, well, not the book. It is the story upon which Ian Fleming based James Bond's last book, The Man with the Golden Gun. And it is about a KGB assassin named Bogdan Stashinsky, who in the 60s defected to West. So he like left the Soviet Union, went to West Germany, told all of his secrets <laughs> to the CIA, and then was put on trial, which is it's like bad turn to him. You know, like he came and he defected and he, he brought us all this information and we immediately put him on trial. And it was a huge deal. It was like all over the news. He was charged with like several assassinations. And it had a lot of repercussions. The KGB had to change a lot of the ways that they assassinated people because now everybody could like be on the lookout for all of their kind of secret methods. And it also implicated a bunch of people from the Kremlin and all of these political assassinations, which are, of course, like international war crimes. So a bunch of people had to step down. International politics had like a field day with this guy. And then Ian Fleming made him into a James Bond novel. <laughs> I really like this book for right now because... Because it was published in um, 2016, and the author, Plaki, is a Ukrainian historian. And right now, he is the director of Ukrainian research at Harvard. Mm. So, uh, you know, I don't think I need to say anything more about that. <laughs> like, anything we can be doing to be elevating the thoughts and feelings and voices of Ukrainian people, even if it's not related to what's happening in Ukraine right now, I think is important. So that's The Man with the Poison Gun by Serhii Plaki. Yeah, so I did take the Central or South American author bit of this, and I wanted to give you... I So, okay, I haven't read this one. This one is on spec. This is from my TBR, but Vanessa Diaz, our managing editor, highly recommends, and it is a contemporary classic of El Salvadoran literature. It's The She-Devil in the Mirror oh. by Horacio Castellanos Moya. And this is a detective story with an unreliable narrator, always a good time. Or may well, maybe it's like a hyperactive narrator. Like it's a very like stream of consciousness. Like somebody's talking at you like a thousand miles a minute, um, like giving you all of their thoughts about everything that's going on. So the main character, Laura, uh, her best friend has been shot in her living room and nobody knows who done it? So it is like a satire. It's a mystery. It's set in post-Civil War San Salvador. And Laura is like not to everybody's taste. It's so funny to read the reviews of this because people either love or hate her narration. Like they either love to hate her or they just hate her because she's like she's rich. She's paranoid. She's smart. She's extremely kooky. And so like I'm telling you all this because like maybe you will know from the sound of it whether or not this is your jam. But this book comes so highly recommended. Moya is like referenced everywhere when I was doing research. So that's how it made it onto my TBR and hopefully onto yours as well. Uh, so again, that's The She-Devil in the Mirror by Horacio Castellanos Moya. All right. Our next question is from Quinn, who says, I, like many people, got sucked into the first season of Bridgerton on Netflix <laughs> and began reading the books. I love the second book, but the third totally put me off. The hero was such a jerk to the heroine. He refused to accept her saying no to his offer, never talked to her about why she said no, literally threatened to call the police on her for a crime she didn't commit, etc., etc. There's a huge power differential between them that only exacerbated how awful his character was. I get that it's, quote, historical historically accurate, unquote, or whatever, that he would make such an offer and get, get upset that she would have the nerve to reject it. But I don't want to read about men being so awful to women. Could you recommend a historical romance that is totally swoon-worthy, rompy, and fun with characters that are incredibly likable and respect each other's boundaries? I've only read the Bridgerton books, so anything you'd recommend would be new to me. Oh, Quinn, welcome. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. <laughs> I love a Bridgerton convert, you know, like yes. people coming in from the show to the romance genre. It's great. And like finding all of the other good stuff. Mm -hmm. I will say, I just have to say, because you brought it up, not me, <laughs> Quinn. Quinn, this is your fault that I'm digressing here. I, I had to nope out of season two of Bridgerton because it is a trope that I cannot stand, which is the two siblings in love with the same person. Like, I can't, I just can't, I can't do that trope, which made me sad because I the actors are so good and the mm. sets are amazing and it's such like eye candy. They give excellent face. Yeah, they give excellent face. So, but anyway, okay. So, any, I, understand what I'm saying is I understand your complicated feelings about Bridgerton. Uh, Amanda, do you want to give yours first? Sure. Um, so I 
agree. <laughs> the books yeah. are not as, how to say, modern <laughs> as, mm. as the show is necessarily, especially when it comes to the gender dynamics and the racial dynamics. Mm. Uh, and as much as there aren't any in the books, anyway, that's a whole other rant. So I went with something that is a, a Regency romance that has um, similar, like, police interactions and like similar power stuff going on but in a much more palatable way and that's from duke till dawn by ava lee and this is the first book in the london underground series what i love about this series of regencies is that every heroine is a woman who works in crime somehow so like in this first book the heroine is a con artist. I think in the second one, there's a madam, there's a pirate, there's like a smuggler. There's a whole bunch. Every book is a different working person who is like working, but like not in a quote unquote respectable profession. And I love that. So uh, From Duke Till Dawn is about the Duke of Greyland, who many years ago fell in love with and gave like a bunch of money to a woman who was a widow, who was like beautiful and charming, who he loved very deeply. They slept together one time. And when he woke up the next morning, she was totally gone. And so he has spent all of these years wondering what happened, what like happened to her. He tried to find her, couldn't do it. Um, and he's kind of given up hope for finding her again. And then he sees her one night in a casino, uh, which they call gaming hells in Regency romances for reasons that I'm sure are Googleable, but which I have not Googled. <laughs> but that's the thing. I'm going to say casino because it sounds like more a real thing. So he sees her and he's like, tis the love of my life. What are you doing here? How have you been? What's going on? The problem is she is a con artist. She grew up on the streets. She picked pockets. He was a mark the first time they met. She was supposed to, you know, get all his money and run, which is what she did. The wrinkle was that she had feelings for him. And so she realized that if she stayed in this con for much longer, her whole thing was going to be, you know, her whole life was going to be destroyed. So she took what she had and she left both for her own safety and to kind of protect him. And when he finds her again, he discovers this about her. Like he discovers that this mythological narrative he's written about this woman he loved from so long ago is super, super wrong. And he decides that he's going to get his money back. So he, you know, she ends up in like a tricky financial situation where she gets betrayed by a, a business partner. She has to go to him for help. And he's like, I will help you out of this. But you owe me a lot of money. And <laughs> perhaps some kisses, just saying, except he does not say that. He's very intent on not falling for her again, but he feels as though justice should be served, but he's not going to call the cops on her. Like, you know, he's not going to be that guy. Um, and so she agrees. And of course, she pays him back with some smooches and maybe some money also. But there is this whole, it's it's definitely, you know, like the power dynamic is there. He's the Duke. He could have her arrested and probably hanged for what she did to him. And she's just like out here on these streets trying to survive and always has been and really does quite love him, but does not know how to take off her like must survive mask or like, you know, mm. feelings in order to let him in emotionally. And it's just about their journey together past their both acceptable boundaries and like emotional walls they've built up because of trauma um, on both sides and learning to forgive each other. It's just lovely. It's lovely and fun and rompy and hilarious. And there's a con artist. I don't know what else you want. So that's from Duke <laughs> Till Dawn by Ava Lee. Yeah, I went like as far from the original premise of the book that you read as I could get. <laughs> yes. I just went with like the most feel goodiest uh, romance <laughs> I've read in a while, which I know we're always recommending Courtney Milan, but here I am recommending some more Courtney Milan. It's The Duke Who Didn't. It is so delightful. It is also two Chinese British characters, which is super cool. Mm. And uh, like there's like historical reasons. Like it's it's not like Bridgerton has sort of retconned mm -hmm. on the show, has retconned like racial relationships in England. And this, I think, is also like it's not exactly a retcon. I think Milan based it on like actual legit people who lived in England because there have always been people of color in England. But anyway, they it takes place in this village of Wedgford, which is like a sort of haven for ethnic minorities. And our heroine, Chloe Fong, is like the only daughter of this very talented chef father. And every year there's this big like festival in the town and this year she is trying to make her father's like secret special sauce recipe for bao like a thing like she's going to attract investors they're going to have money like everything is going to be amazing she just has to pull it all off she's also organizing like a bajillion things she has a clipboard she is extremely type a she has a job she needs to do it she does not have time for anything else 
Of course. So who should show up but Jeremy, who is the Duke of Lansing, and he is a cinnamon roll of the, like, former Playboy reformed variety. Like, he's never had a malicious bone in his body, but he has not always been, like, on top of his business. Like, he has not been the most reliable of persons. And Chloe has felt burned by him before, so she's, like... Happy to see him in that he's, like, attractive and she, like, he was her childhood crush. But also she's like, I have things to do. You cannot distract me mm-hmm. with your playboyness. Like, go away. And he is determined not to go away. But he also is, like, full of respect for Chloe and her clipboards and, like, wants to help. Except that, like, sometimes his help is not exactly healpy. Uh, instead, it, like, turns into kissing, which, she, again, she does not have time for. But, oh, well, here we go. It's just so much fun. It's like a grumpy sunshine, second chance romance. I just love these characters. I love the whole premise. I love like a community that like is doing a thing together. Like that's just such a lovely trope as well. So it's a good time. Uh, So again, that's The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan. All right. Our last question is from Stephanie, who says, I really like watching the strong frontier women on the TV show 1883. And I really liked the book Upright Women Wanted and want to find more books set in Western frontier settings with strong female characters. I've heard of Lonesome Dove and it's on my list. I did not like Inland by Taya Obrit. And that's the end of the question. I don't know why I thought there was. I read that as if there was like (laughs) continual things. There are not continual things. Okay, so I'm going to keep going here and tell you that if you would like to read several Westerns with strong female heroines, you should read some romances Mm -hmm. because there are a floppity Jillian, first of all, (laughs) um, that are that are set in the West. But of course. There are women in all of them, unless you're reading gay romance, which also exist, and you should also read those. But I love I love romances set uh, in the West, in the American West, written by people of color specifically, written by Beverly Jenkins specifically, because it doesn't <laughs> ignore all of the crap that comes with talking about the West. Like, it does not ignore the racial dynamics. It does not ignore the colonialism. But it also doesn't take away from like the fun you're having with these characters like they're dealing with heavy 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 things but it's still a romance so like you get the best of both kind of world emotional worlds i don't know anyway so what i'm talking about or what i'm recommending now is forbidden by beverly jenkins which is the first book in her old west series and this is about a couple named ryan and eddie eddie is a hero is our heroine who is traveling to the west she's like saved up a bunch of money she's gonna go to california and um i think she wants to be a chef if i remember correctly But she gets, like, conned at a train station and ends up in the middle of the desert, and Ryan saves her. It's, like, kind of a complicated situation how she ends up there. But she ends up in the middle of the desert. She's probably going to die. Ryan comes upon her and, like, saves her, brings her to the town in Nevada where they are, where Ryan lives, and kind of sets her up to heal from her awful experience. And, you know, now she owes him her life. Ryan is a black man who is passing as white in this town, and he's become very, like, financially successful. He's a businessman. He's very well respected in his community. And he's just not telling anyone who he is for obvious reasons. And Eddie is not, like, trying to stay here. You know, like, she wants to be a chef. She wants to get to California. She's got dreams. She's got things to do. She's thankful that he helped her in the way that he did. But she's, like, you know, trying to just save up money and leave. But the longer she stays, the cuter he gets. And the more she feels as though (laughs) she could make a life here. And she gets, like, involved with the community. You meet a ton of secondary characters who will all come back later in the series. And, of course, Ryan's secret comes out. And the two end up together because it's a romance. And so you're just here to watch all of that unfold against this backdrop. So, yeah, you know, it's a Western with the heroine who's, like, a small business owner. She fights off being assaulted like she is not here for anybody's nonsense and it's just so fun it's so fun beverly jenkins can do no wrong so that's forbidden by beverly jenkins yes beverly jenkins forever Mm -hmm. it's uh it's it's just the truth Mm -hmm. so firstly (laughs) lonesome dove i have read it more than once and i think it is a really stunning book in a lot of ways however If what you want is a focus on female characters, do not read Lonesome Dove. It has two excellent, strong women in it, but they are severely shortchanged in terms of page time and agency, shall we just say. 
I love them, but they do not get their due. So, mm. you know, Lonesome Dove, you could probably skip, honestly. Um, I'm recommending An Easy Death by Charlene Harris. I am not 100%. I couldn't tell exactly, like, which bits of the Westie part that you wanted from the context because I haven't seen the show. Um, and uh, I don't know. You didn't say what you didn't like about Inland. So this might be in the wrong direction, but I'm going to recommend it anyway. Uh, An Easy Death does have magic in it. So if you are not here for magic in your Western, like, this is not for you. Go to go straight to Beverly Jenkins. Like, do not pass go. Just do the thing. But if you are open to magical Western stuff, which I think you might be. Uh, An Easy Death is a fun one because the main character is so great. Gunny Rose is like a sharpshooter, you know, take no prisoners, does not care about your opinions about her. Like she's going to do her thing, get paid, the end. That is her vibe, which is delightful. This is actually a sort of alternate history as well in which the you know, the United States does not look the same as it does here. And I do think Harris, in a limited way, is trying to deal with, as Amanda mentioned, like often the uh, racial politics of Westerns are not dealt with. And I do think Harris is doing some of that Um, enough for me to be like, okay, I can enjoy this. And there are characters of color. They have agency. Like it's it. She's doing some things. And Gunny Rose is uh, also the daughter of like a man who nobody can know that that's her father. It's like a big secret about her life. And she's like working a job. Things go horribly wrong. Some Russian wizards show up and are like trying to get in her business. She's not excited about it. Like it is a very enjoyable story. I will give content warnings for gory violence and mention of rape. Like there's a lot of violence on the page. So if too much violence is not a good thing for you, you might also want to skip this. But I I just found it an extremely like yeah, it's a it's sort of a classic Western plus magic with really good characters. So if that's the thing you're looking for, dive in. Uh, so again, that's An Easy Death by Charlene Harris. Oh, it's me. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it? Where am I? That's our show. Woo-hoo. Thanks so much to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who is just the best. Uh, thank you all for listening. You are also the best. Mm. If you would like more recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can also find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And if you would be so kind as to leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, Podchaser, wherever, it helps other people to find this show and we super appreciate it. We also super appreciate our sponsors for making the show possible. Thank you to them. Um, And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.